Let's take our Bibles this morning and be turning to the book of Esther, a little Old Testament book, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, before Job and Psalms. And we're going to be in Esther chapter 4. Give you a moment to find that. Good to see you today. And, and um, we have special plans for the evening service, the afternoon service. Most of you would be aware of that. I'll cover that at the end of the service. But we're going to have our service off-site. It'll be out at our house beginning at 5 o'clock. And uh, so hope you can plan to come and be with us. But let's give our attention now to the scripture that's before us and trust the Lord to speak to our hearts today. This is, um, to me, a, a very, very favorite portion of the scripture. I have a lot of favorites. This is one of them. I think if you were to make a list of just dramatic moments in the, in history, you know, I think about the, the crossing of the Red Sea. I think about the walls of Jericho falling down. I think about the feeding of the 5,000. I think about Daniel getting a good night's rest in a den of lions. I think about all these amazing, miraculous moments. But I think this is one, an equally a dramatic moment in the history of Israel, but it contains lessons that are so valuable for us. I want to just introduce uh, the text, and then we'll stand in a moment and read, just sort of get our minds focused. The book of Esther was written uh, during a time of the children of Israel being captive. They'd been taken captive by the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar, but the Persian Empire has now replaced the Babylonians, and, and, and they are, Esther was written during that period of time in that captivity. And it's sort of an example to me of where sacred history and secular history intersect. Because we're looking at the history of a nation um, and we're also looking at the history of God's people and God's work. At that time, a man by the name of Ahasuerus was the king. And he, uh, his kingdom, it says in chapter 1, if you're familiar at all with geography, his kingdom went from India all the way to Ethiopia, the northern part of the African continent. And it was a worldwide empire, and Ahasuerus was the king. We won't go into the details, but there was a Jewish woman who lived there whose name was Esther, and she became the queen. And imagine that, a secular government uh, and a Jewish Bible-believing or Old Testament-believing Jewish person uh, who was the queen. And Esther had a cousin whose name was Mordecai. I'm going to give you a quiz at the end on all these names and dates and places. But Mordecai was her cousin and also her adoptive father. Esther's parents were not alive. And Mordecai took her in and raised her. And now Mordecai lived in that same area, Shushan the palace. And And so now his cousin is the queen. There's another man that you'll remember from this passage whose name was Haman. And Haman was a right-hand man to King Ahasuerus. And everybody bowed down to Haman except for one rebel whose name was Mordecai. When I say a rebel, he refused to bow before the the king of, of Persia. So... So you got this ill, this ill feelings now between Haman and Mordecai, the cousin of Esther. 
And it was so strong with Haman that he conspired, he came up with a plan to go before King Ahasuerus and to convince him to exterminate the Jewish population. That's a, that's a pretty broad, bold plan, isn't it? And Haman was successful. Haman got the king, Ahasuerus, to sign off on an order that all the Jews in the empire would be killed. Now, we can sit here today and not be affected by that because it doesn't affect us, but when you mention things like Holocaust, you understand the magnitude of that decision. And that was the official declaration of King Ahasuerus. And this is the dramatic moment that we're in at this point in, in Scripture we'll look at today. And Mordecai understands what's about to happen to all the Jewish population. And so he goes to his cousin, Esther, and he says, Esther, you've got to intercede for us. You're the queen. The king doesn't even know that she's a Jew. You've got to go before the king. You're the only person that can save us. You've got to make an... And so he's appealing to her to appealing to the king. Esther chapter 4 and if you're able to stand, please stand with us as we read a few verses, beginning in verse 9. There's been this correspondence, a courier by the name of Hatak. A courier is going between Esther and Mordecai, giving these messages back and forth. And in verse 9, Hatak, the courier, came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. She came and told the queen about this decree to kill all the Jews and how that she could make an appeal. And Esther spake unto Hatak, the courier, and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. Very important, verse 11, because Esther is explaining to her cousin Mordecai how it's not possible for her just to go in unannounced before the king. She says in verse 11, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know. And whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, who's not invited, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter. If you go in unannounced, it could be a death sentence for you unless he holds up this golden scepter, which means you can come in and speak your peace. Verse 11 continues, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. And now she gives a personal note to her cousin Mordecai, but I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days. It's been 30 days since I've seen his face, and I can't go in unless I'm invited. Are you with me so far? They told that news uh, to Mordecai. They went in verse 12. They told to Mordecai Esther's words. Now please just really focus on verse 13 and following. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther. He's going to send a message back to Esther. Think not within thyself or with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house. 
more than all the Jews. You may be a Jew, you're living in the, in the palace, but don't think for a minute you won't face the same, the same end of all the Jews. Verse 14, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, there's the three important words I just want to emphasize, at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. In other words, God will preserve our people, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. A very famous question in verse 14. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? In other words, maybe that's why you're there, Esther. Maybe there's a reason why you're in the palace. And verse 15, then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Let's pray together, all right? Father, we thank you again for your word. And God, what a blessing it is to be able to hold in our hands a copy of the word of God. We see the historical significance of what we're reading about, a play-by-play, a record, a chronicle of the of what transpired in those days. And Father, we want to read it today and appreciate the lessons we can learn from it. God, we need you today. We need you to work in our hearts. And our Father, we need you, God, to help us to see ourselves as you see us and see what you might do with us and through us and for us in these days. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I was, I was preparing this message, I was thinking about our annual theme, what time is it, the different themes you see around knowing the time, you know, the critical understanding that we know the times that we live in, that we, we have understanding of the times, that's one of the reasons why we've been teaching so much, um, primarily on Sunday nights, sometimes on Wednesday nights, and occasionally on Sunday mornings about end time events, because I believe we're living in days that are certainly pointing to the coming of the Lord, and we're watching the world itself being shaped and manipulated to many of the things we read about in the Bible. But here's an example of someone who understood the critical moment of time that they lived in. Well, I think one of, this is not new to any of us, but one of the most uh, damaging things in our life is to think that we can dismiss our responsibility to today and somehow those same opportunities will be around tomorrow or next month or next year. But the reality is it's not always that way. And for her, it was not this way. For Mordecai, it was not this way. They couldn't afford to postpone what their duty was at that particular moment. And so we need to be understanding of the time. And what Mordecai is, is basically saying to his cousin, to Esther, is could it be possible that the reason you are where you are today as a queen, as a Jewish woman, really incognito as a queen, maybe the reason you're there in the palace 
is because God wants to use you at this time. And that was his plea. That was his presentation. Why, are you, why do you think you're there at this time? Why do you think you are in this place? And so I love the response that she, when she finally, he got her on board uh, with, this, with this proposal. Her response was, I want you to go and get everybody you know and ask them to pray. I want you to ask them to spend three days praying. Don't eat anything. Don't drink anything. Just fast before God. And I'm going to do the same thing. And I'm going to get my the, those serving my court. I'm going to get them to do the same thing. And then I'm going to I'm going to approach the king. And again, just classic language. If I perish, I perish. If it costs me my life, I'm willing to do that. If it's the last thing I do on this in my life, I'm going to do that. I'm willing to die for this cause. And then Mordecai went out and did exactly as the queen commanded. As a, just a reminder again, I, because I think it's important that we understand this, the entire Jewish population of exiles, they are at risk. So how did it all turn out? I'm not going to read it in the Bible. I'll just give, give you a few highlights. First of all, Esther obtained favor from the king. He said, come on in. And that's a good sign. The second thing was Haman, who had decided he was going to have Mordecai hung and, and, create, and built these gallows to, to hang Mordecai, this wicked Haman. Haman was hung on the very gallows that Mordecai built. That would have been a great thing to witness. Not that I like hangings or anything. And then Mordecai was elevated to the position that Haman had been in. He became over the house of Haman. And the best news is that the king reversed his decision and all the Jews were spared. And isn't that a wonderful story? It's just a, it's an absolutely wonderful record, number one, of how we can respond in times of crisis, in times of need. But the thing that really stands out to me in this passage, and I think the relevance of, of where we are today, is to think about our lives. I, when I read that, I don't just read it and say, thank God Esther was there. Thank God Mordecai was there. Thank God Ahasuerus gave an opening to the queen to come before him. But I can't read that but think about an underlying principle, and that is the, the urgency of recognizing the times that we live in, the times that we live in, not the times that they lived in, the times that we live in. And I believe we're here before, in this particular time for reasons, and God only knows all the reasons why. You know, if you and I would just take a few moments, and I'm not going to even take a few moments, just look at about this, the timetable that we live in. And I know I've been preaching for more than 40 years about the coming of the Lord. And I believe very strongly he could come at any moment when I began this journey. And I believe as strongly or even more strongly today. This is not just any other time. If you're raising your children assuming that they're going to live in the same environment that you've been raised in, you're living a dream. This is not the same world. Our world is changing right before our eyes. And yet many Christian people look at it like, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. I'm telling you, it is a big deal. We need to understand the times that we live in. Things are coming together that I believe, many of us believe, 
will eventually lead to a full-blown rebellion against God. We're watching it take place. And it's no accident that we're here at this time. I think about this time in American history, this, this day, this period of time, this holiday, we celebrate the birth of our country as a free republic. And it's amazing how things have changed. And I just, you know, just to say, if, you, if you're at all aware of what goes on in social media and things, just to say that you love America, some people will call you a racist just for saying you love America. We live in a strange, a strange time, beloved. But I'm glad for our country. I'm glad for the freedom that we've enjoyed. And it wasn't easy. It took over four years from the time that those, those men at the Continental Congress passed the Declaration of Independence. Eight years, I should say, eight years. Men like, like Thomas Paine and Patrick Henry and Samuel Adams who, who kept urging people to believe that we could establish a country where we... We were not under the dictates, the governor of, the, of a monarch, but we were a free republic to make choices on our own and have the freedom of religion. And I thank God for those patriots. But fast forward 245 years. We live in a day of great moral and political corruption. Amen. This nation has murdered 60 million babies in the womb of their mother. 60 million. We have blood on our hands. And we'll answer to God for that. And that's just one example. And I know, I know people like to erase the truth, but I'm telling you, the only way to explain where we are today is the insanity of sin. In Esther's day, a plan was being executed to extinguish her people. Mordecai's decision to pressure Esther. This is something that's really been on my mind lately. Esther didn't want to do this. It was only the pressure that came from her cousin Mordecai. That he kept pushing and pleading and putting this burden on her to finally step out. This this. This decision that Mordecai had to put pressure on Esther, what caused him to be so bold? It was an act of desperation. By the way, you know one of the reasons why we stay where we are often spiritually is because we're just not desperate about changing our situation. We're comfortable with it. We still, we still have food on the table. We still have our freedoms, you know, to do the things we like to do. But I'm telling you, Maybe a sense of desperation would do us good because that's what got a hold of Mordecai. We're about to witness, we're about to witness a full-blown assault upon our people. It's what Mordecai could see. That's all he could see, and he was right. Had Esther not been willing to risk her life, I don't believe these are just, I don't think these are embellishments. I don't think they're exaggerations. She went before the king knowing that she could perish. By the way, the only reason she became the queen is because his other queen overstepped the boundaries and he got rid of her. So she knew he had a record of not keeping queens around just for sake of having them. Mordecai's words to me are immortal. Who knoweth whether thou art come to a kingdom for such a time as this? 
So as I look at this passage today, I want to draw some encouragement from it. And the first thing I want to emphasize is this. I believe that God would have us to remember that he has us here for this moment. This is our time. You know, I didn't get to choose when I was born. If I'd have had a vote, I wouldn't have been born at this time. I'd have been born at a time where there was no internet, there were no mobile phones, maybe even no automobiles. You say, you wouldn't like to live like that. In a heartbeat, I would like to live like that. But I didn't get a choice about it. God says, this is my time. And I want to say to you today, and young people, I especially want you to listen to me. People, many people feel like their lives don't really matter. But I want to tell you, that's not true. You're, you're, if you believe that, you're believing a lie. If you believe your testimony doesn't matter, if you believe your input doesn't matter, if you believe your life, your testimony doesn't matter, you're believing a lie. Our lives do matter. And I think Mordecai stands out to me as an example of how God could use a very unlikely candidate. He, didn't, he wasn't even from that place. They, they lived in Israel. They were, they were Jews. They were only there because the country fell and they were taken captive by the Babylonians. Why would he have such a place of influence? Why would his cousin uh, Esther be elevated to the place of queen? I'm telling you, it's a great example of how God can use very unlikely candidates. And there could be people sitting in this room today that God could use your life to make a great difference in the world, just as he did Esther and Mordecai. Amen. You know, had Mordecai, as I think about him, had he not earned the respect of the king and the people of the land, history would have been different. What if, what if Esther had not been raised in the manner that she was raised? What, what a, you know, we raise our children like, you know, it doesn't really matter how we raise them. It's all going to work out. I'm telling you, she was raised a woman of great character. And, that was, and it was through that that she got to the place that she was in. I'm just going to say, you know, God wants to use us now in this our time. I emphasize that as we were reading verse 14. I want to look at it again. It says, for if thou altogether talking to Esther... If thou altogether holdest thy peace, in other words, don't say anything, just be quiet, holdest thy peace at this time. For him, it wasn't a matter of what you did yesterday or what you might do tomorrow, it's today. And I want to tell you, that'd be a great, a great thing if more of us would spend more time thinking about my responsibility today. What does God want to do in this, our time? Because this is our time. God put us here for now. No matter what your age is, no matter where you come from, it's our time. We can't blame our responses on another generation. We can't do that. That may make us feel better about ourselves, but it just doesn't work. It's our time to serve the Lord. We talk about those who have served the Lord, those we hope serve the Lord, but it's our time. Jesus said, let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's our time to be salt. It's a corrupting world. 
We don't like it. Now, some people may like it, but most of the people in this room, doesn't. Like, we don't like what we see in our world. We don't like the, the direction it's going. But just complaining is not enough. Just getting on social media and venting is not enough. We need to figure out what can God do with me to make a positive difference in the world that I live in. Complaining may kind of get the guilt off of us or make us feel like we've done something but God has more than that for us. So first of all, God wants to use us now. The second, the second thing I want to emphasize for a moment is this. Esther knew the value of praying and seeking God. That was not just a formality. That was not just a ritual. She said, "Before I'm going to go in there and I'm going to see him. But before I do, I want you to get everybody you can find and I want him to spend three days fasting. No food, no drink, no nothing for three days. And by the way, that's where the breakthrough began. This is really where, this is where the turnaround began to take place. You know, what, what was it? Just think about this for a moment. Just give you another little tidbit from the story. But what was it that elevated Mordecai to the position he held with the king? Now, we didn't read this. But earlier in the narrative, there were a couple of men that were traitors. They were criticizing the king and were planning to kill King Hasarius. It was an assassination attempt. And Mordecai found out about it. Mordecai went to someone who got word to the king that there is a conspiracy, a coup taking place. And... The king's life was spared. Well, it doesn't say anything more about that. But then we read in the text here where for three days and three nights they're praying and fasting. And then a day or two after that, the king couldn't sleep. King Ahasuerus, he couldn't sleep. He was waking in the night. And he, you ever find that reading something kind of helps you go back to sleep? He called someone to come and bring the record, the chronicles, the minutes of things that have happened. That ought to be boring enough to put you to sleep. And so this guy's king's wide awake at night and this, this person is reading this story and he read him the story about how a man by the, time of, by the name of Mordecai reported an assassination attempt and saved the life of the king. And the king said, wow. Wow is not in there, but I'm just inserting that. The king said, whatever happened, what did we ever do? What did we ever do to honor Mordecai? And the reader said, nothing. Nothing was ever done. And, and so he said to, actually he said to Haman, he said, Haman, what would you do if you wanted to just honor somebody in a big way? And Haman thought, he's going to honor me. And sure enough, man, he... He said, I'd have a big parade and I'd put him on your horse and I mean, it'd be, a great, it'd be a great day. And Haman went out to, said, man, this is going to be great. I'm going to go tell my family. He did, he went and told his family. You're not going to believe what's about to happen to me. But then the king said, that's what we're going to do for Mordecai. Oh, bummer. The point I'm making is this. You know, is it just a coincidence? Is it just a coincidence 
that after three days of praying and fasting, the king woke up the next night and couldn't sleep and said, would somebody read me, the, just read the record of what's been going on. And he heard that story and he said, I'm going to do something to honor that man. No, I don't think it was just a coincidence. I believe it was an answer to prayer. They'd been praying and asking God to do something. You say, preacher, you don't really believe that through people seeking God and praying that God's actually going to do something in the king's heart? The king's, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. That's what the Bible says, as the rivers of water turn as it whithersoever he will. Sure, God can influence people. Maybe it'd be a good idea if we took just a portion of the time that we spend complaining about what's going on in our world and spend some time praying about what's going on in our world. And seeking God and begging God to intervene in our society. Esther knew the value of praying and seeking God. You know, who knows what might happen as an answer to earnest prayer. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, the Bible says. And yet he, he's the one that went before Ahab unannounced to the vilest, wickedest king that Israel ever had and said, I'm just going to tell you that it's not going to rain a drop till I give the word. He was a man of prayer. He prayed that it might not rain. The Bible says in the heavens they have not rain. He prayed again and it did rain. I'm just saying, who knows what God might do? That same passage in, in James says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I tell you today, folks, we, we didn't need more than a new legislation or the majority in the House, the majority in the Senate. I'm for all those things, but we need revival in America. And revival won't come from the White House. It'll come from God. And we need to be praying and seeking God. We need revival in our community. We need revival in our individual hearts. It'd be a great thing if God would just help us to see today individually how much he wants to work in our lives. And so the first thing we see is God wants to use us now. The second thing we see is that Esther knew the value of praying and seeking God. And the last thing, and we need to see this. May God help us to see it. That procrastinating and postponing obedience to God is a tragic mistake. I had this thought many years ago, and I've, it comes to my mind periodically. It probably came to me while I was preaching. I preach about other things while I'm preaching, so it keeps my mind occupied. <laughs> But I had this thought one time. If I were to stand up here and say, I have a thousand dollar bill for everybody in the room who could genuinely and honestly say, I know there's areas of my life that I'm not being obedient to God. How many, how many of us could sincerely claim that thousand dollar bill and the reality is a lot of times many of us could we know we're not being obedient to God I'm not saying that we're not being obedient at all but partial obedience is not the same as complete obedience 
And I think most people who really know the Lord sincerely plan on being more obedient sometime. One of these days, one of these days I'm really going to get serious about reading my Bible more. One of these days I'm going to really get serious about serving God. Or one of these days I'm really going to get serious about giving out gospel tracts and witnessing. And one of these days I'm really going to get serious about supporting missions and praying for missionaries. But the sad reality is one of these days hardly ever comes. We feel that way today and we'll feel that way next year and we'll feel that way next year. You know, for Mordecai and Esther, that was not an option. It's now or never. One of the lessons I see in this is the importance of not procrastinating or postponing what we know to be God's will for us. What does is, what is God have in mind for us? I don't mean us as a group. What does God have in mind for me? First of all, if you're not saved, you need to be saved. You need salvation. You're gambling with your soul. If you're not a child of God, if you've not been born again, Christ died to redeem us, to save us. But he didn't save us to live for ourselves. He saved us to live for him, to serve him. How might my life or your life impact other people? This is not news, but we are losing our way as a nation. And we're losing ground every moment of every day. When it comes to evangelism and missions, we're losing ground every day. It's true. Parents are losing their children to the world. We're losing our influence in our community. I mean, what, what, what could possibly be a better time than now to get serious about doing what God wants us to do? For Mordecai and Esther, one of the things that just stands out to me in this text is they were a clear example of what Paul wrote about when he said, redeeming the time. So what should we do? We need to make ourselves available to God. Not to do our will, but to do His will. God, what do you want out of me? What do you want my life to look like? What do, you, what do you want my life to look like as a, as a teenager, as a mom, a dad, as a, as a single adult? What do you want me to look like? How do you want me to live? What is your plan for me? You know, when we think about the condition of our country, it'd be very, very easy just to name a bunch of sins that we think are examples of what a desperate place we're in. But I want to just tell you something that I don't think would make most of our list, and I think it, it rakes right up there among the, all of them, and that's the indifference among God's people to what's going on. The, the, the unbelief the indifference, the lack of passion to redeem the time that we live in. And I'm just telling you, as long as we will accept the status quo, as long as we will accept business as usual, that's probably what we're going to have. 
I think we need to confess and forsake that indifference to the things of God. And then pray that God would intervene. We need for God to intervene. I'm, I'm just telling you how I feel, what I think. It's just my opinion. I'm not preaching the Bible now. I'm giving you my opinion. I don't see any reason to believe we're going to have a nationwide revival. But I, we could have. But whether we do or whether we don't, we need to be having revival in our hearts. And in our homes. And in our churches. We need revival. If everybody else prayed like you prayed for revival, how much praying would be happening? Huh? You ought to think about it. We all ought to think about it. This, this banner over here, what, what time is it? And I, I tell you, I think it's later. It's, it's later than it's ever been, we know that. It may be a lot later than we think it is. I love America. I do. I'm not ashamed to say it. I love this country. I love its heritage. I love what it stands, has stood for. I don't, I'm not even on board with a lot of things that are going on today, but I say I love this country. But more than that, I love God. And we love the gospel. And if we don't, if we don't turn America around, we at least need to turn people around with the gospel. That ought to be our number one passion. But it starts with us. It starts with us. So I'm going to ask you to do this today. If you're here today and you're not saved, if you don't know the Lord, I'm going to ask you today. If, if God's working in your heart, if you... If you're not sure you're going to heaven, if you don't know that you've been born again, I'm going to be standing right here in a moment. You ought to just come to me and say, Preacher, I need some help with this. I don't know that I'm saved. Be the greatest decision you ever made. Turn to Christ with your life. Put your faith in Christ. But if you're saved, I'm going to ask you today to take the lessons we learned from Mordecai and Esther in the book of Esther Say, God, I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start praying for you to work in my life and in my family and in our church and in our community, in our country. There's nothing that God cannot do. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. With our heads bowed today, with our eyes closed and folks praying, The words of Mordecai to Esther, who knoweth? Who knows? I'll paraphrase, if you're not come to the kingdom for such an hour as this, such a time, this is, who knows if you're not here for this moment, for this purpose. May God help us today. Say, Lord, I'm, I want to make a difference in my own way. However you want to use me, I want to make a difference. Our Father, as we pray today, we thank you for the Word of God. And we thank you for just the clear reminder of the importance of our lives and our time. And Father, the older we get, you know, the more we realize, become aware that 
our time is getting shorter and shorter. God, help us to use our time wisely. God, I pray in Jesus' name today that you would impress upon our hearts the importance of taking your will seriously and obedience to you seriously.